High Performance Podcast, where we share with you the stories, tips, tricks, and strategies of motocross and off-road racers, health and fitness experts, and everyone in between who has an inspiring story to share. This week on the podcast, we've got Ben McCosh. He, him and I go way back actually from back in the 90s, battling around each other on the KX80s and the KX100s, uh, which is really cool. I've known him for quite some time. He has got a very impressive list of events that he's actually partaken in, and he tries to play it down a little bit in, in the podcast here, but I think it's really impressive that the list of events that he's competed in and the different um, disciplines of of motorcycle racing that he's partaken in so he shares that story with us on this podcast he's also been heavily involved in the motorcycling in- industry with with his his career as well so he's got a lot of really cool insight into into riding into the off-road scene and he also shares with us a bit of i guess again insight and a bit of a bit of knowledge around some things that have helped him not just get better results, but help his performance on and off the bike in terms of training, in terms of nutrition. And he also also shares some tips, um, perhaps for the, some of the younger guys out there who are coming up. He's experienced it all. So he's got some pretty wise words there for some of the younger guys as to little things you can apply and be mindful of in your training and in your, your approach to your riding and racing so cool podcast he's a super cool dude i'll hope you really love the content we'll get straight into this one this week today on the podcast we've got ben mccosh who i would classify as a certified dirt bike nut (laughs) so welcome to the podcast mate he's going to share a bit of his awesome story with us today thanks buddy how have you been you're back down south now yeah, mate, uh, spent about six or seven years sort of living up in, um, moved away from Victoria, moved up to Queensland, working mining and um, a few other jobs up there and a bit in New South Wales and, uh, yeah, back in sunny Victoria and trying to uh, plant myself to be a permanent Victorian again if they'll let me. So, it's good. Awesome. So, where, you're originally from down that way, aren't you? Because I know we had a couple of battles, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the early days. At Warrnambool, but were you, did you actually live at Warrnambool or was that just your home track? Yeah, no, I lived in Warrnambool, well, just outside of Warrnambool, yeah. grew up on a farm out there and um, on a yeah, dairy sweet. farm and yeah, spent most of my junior years sort of just, yeah, racing at Warrnambool and, um, you know, bit around Victoria doing, you know, big titles and Western regions and two days and all that sort of fun stuff when you're a kid back in the 90s on whatever bike you had at the time. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a good place to grow up down there. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think we had a tangle up back in about 94, I think it was, me and you. And, uh, yeah, you might have dragged me around the first corner of Lake Lear with uh, my legs caught in the back wheel of your bike because you couldn't stop for the first corner. But, you know, we were C-grade champions back then. And, you know, it was, it was good. It was good. So, I walking, small hole in my leg, but it grew back. Still got the scar to prove it. Yeah, just a little one. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Robin's racing, mate. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been, probably done my uh, my fair share of laps around that motocross track back in the day. And, uh, 
yeah, it was uh, it was a good place, good club, heap of good people. We all travel away, you know, doing two day meetings and junior titles and stuff like that. And it was yeah, it was a good way to grow up. We had a had a heap of fun and still a fair few of us still riding together now, which is great. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, awesome. So they still have they have a little off road series down there, don't they? Is that the Green Triangle or whatever it's called? Yeah, the Green Triangle guys are sort of based a bit more in South Australia, sort of north of Mount Gambier. Um, yeah, yeah they right. still do a few, a few races down there. We sort of, uh, when I got into Enduro stuff, we started doing their stuff, which was, yeah, it wasn't big numbers, but it was it was good racing and good fun. And, you know, we sort of would build our, our, you know, build the tracks and whatnot for us just to basically race on and, you know, it'd be only 30 or 40 guys there. But, yeah, they were always good fun and, yeah, get every uh, every genre of person and it was it was good to get guys into it and then they'd, you know, they'd start turning up and doing Vic Off-Roads and, you know, trying to, trying to go a bit further. So, and the Warnable yeah. Club, you know, when I was a kid, we had the best Pony Expresses and grass tracks. Like we had, we had grass tracks like Thumping Apps tracks and we had, you know, three-hour Pony Expresses that were just oh, smiles for days. They were just so good. So <laughs> we're, we're pretty lucky because we sort of didn't just have that one motocross track. We had a lot of different, different areas to ride. So it was, uh, it was a good way to grow up. Yeah, I'll bet, man. That's awesome. So do you think, is that where the dirt bike bug sort of caught, just from being on the farm, being around bikes the whole time? Was your family into bikes, obviously? or Yeah, the family was into bikes. Um, yeah, my uncle and my, my dad and everyone, they all rode bikes back in the day, sort of when they were younger. And um, was sort of, my uncle was a bike mechanic and he got into Speedway. And, and my dad ran a little motorbike shop for a little while. And, you know, when I was a, pretty much when I was a baby. And yeah, bikes were always sort of around. Um, always had them on the farm, quad bikes and three-wheelers and all those awesomely dangerous things that we rolled <laughs> times and smashed to bits. But, yeah, sort of uh, late 80s, I did a little bit of stuff on a, on a Pee Wee 80 and then we sort of, um, yeah, waited till my little brother came along and then, uh, yeah, we started racing and I bought a, I got an old RM80 off one of the local lads and then my brother had a little JR50 and, that was it. We're pretty much out at Lake Galera at the track, you know, every time we could rain, hail or sunshine. Most of, most of the time that track was underwater for about six months of the year that we used to race in. So we're, yeah. kind, of, we're kind of all mud bandits down there. We, uh, we don't mind it, but um, yeah. And then sort of once we got in the click of that, you know, Supercross in America become really mainstream, you know, Jeremy McGrath and Jeff Emig were having their big battles and, you know, we all wanted to be those guys. So we just rode as much as we could and, yeah, pretty much rode the wheels off every single bike we had and constantly blowing them up and all that fun stuff. But yeah, that was, uh, it was a good time to race. We all, you know, we'd all hang out for the new magazines to come out and trawl through them and try to do school reports on motorbike magazines, you know, all that stuff that you would have done as well. So <laughs> the glory days. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pretty much, pretty much bit pretty hard back then in the early mid nineties and then just hasn't really gone away so you try to give it up for a while and then you end up with something else again and going to ride and then all of a sudden you're buying something and you're entering a race meeting and off you go so yeah so how have you gone like i know we were speaking just before that we started recording like injury wise you're dealing with a bit of a collarbone injury now how have you gone over the years like you've obviously done a ton of racing and riding how have you fared injury wise over the years um compared to some of my mates pretty good you talk yeah. to general people in the public and they sort of cringe. But, um, yeah, look, probably did pretty good in the 90s. Probably bounced pretty good, you know, before I hit 20 and then sort of get to your 20s and you don't bounce quite as good or maybe you get faster or I don't know what it is. But, uh, yeah, look, not too bad. I've, I've probably just got a lot of 
you know, I've sort of got restricted movement in the wrists, uh, my right wrist from a crash on the step down at Bacchus Marsh. If anyone's listening, everyone would have crashed over that at some stage. <laughs> 2000s, so that was, uh, that sort of slowed me off dirt for a while, but um, yeah, I've had a couple operations and got it sorted, so it's pretty good. And um, Yeah, uh, apparently broke my back uh, about six or seven years ago, but I didn't know it at the time, so can't have been that bad. But um, no, nah, just the usuals, you know, few broken bones in your feet from clipping stumps and nothing, <laughs> nothing too over the top. So I don't have any metal work in my body at the moment. So, you know, that's, that's oh, probably nice. good. That's a win. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but no, it's, um, you know, I've always sort of been a, a bit of a believer of, of trying to get to, you know, a specialist or a guru and try to get through some sort of rehab and, and work out an exercise. You can sort of, you know, build from there and not just ignore it. So yeah, I'm all well, a couple of years off 40, but I'm still moving, so it's all right. <laughs> yeah, we've obviously done all right, mate. Like you say, still moving. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's it. So I'll reel off this little list because you have got quite a pretty, I would say, a pretty impressive list of events you've partaken in over your career. Lots of different disciplines, which is really cool, which we're going to get into. But for the listeners out there, the list of events that Ben has done, Lots of motocross racing as a junior, obviously. Done Fink. Um, some road bike, some track days. Fink off-road series in 2008, up until now. Um, condo twice. A4, uh, Australian four-day twice. 24-hour trial in South Australia twice. Hatter ISDE in Germany. The Grass Tree Beach Races, which I'm really cool, to, really excited to find out about i did i did look at a couple of videos <laughs> looks pretty gnarly <laughs> um some sort short circuit road bike racing and and you're actually the 2016 queensland super motard champion too That's a- uh, just just in the vets class mate i won't take it off the <laughs> uh, um and then yeah still obviously the last couple of years been competing in new south wales off-roads and aussie off-roads so that's a pretty impressive list I would say, how did you, I guess, how did you get to, I guess, spread yourself across so many different disciplines? Um, I don't know. I guess I sort of, I didn't do a lot of racing in dirt from about probably 2002 to about 2006, 2007. I sort of did a bit more road stuff and I was living in Melbourne. So it was sort of hard and a lot, all my mates lived out in the country. So I sort of, I got out of dirt bike stuff for a while and then, a few mates were sort of doing a, still doing a bit of enduro stuff. So I went out for a um, couple of bush rides with them and said, oh, it's a bit of fun. And then did a couple of club ponies and went, oh, that's pretty fun. And then I thought, oh, I was working for Yamaha Australia at the time and thought, oh, well, I might get a bike and do some racing. And then, yeah, that was it. It was just sort of on. And then, yeah, it did, um, I sort of find it easier to sort of make a, make a goal, whether you're going to do a whole series or a big event or a couple of big events in a year. And then, you know, so first couple of years sort of just did enduro stuff and, and Vic off roads and then went, um, did the four day a couple of times and the four days were quite good, but you know, that was a lot of the time you sort of restricted with weather. So they're not being quite dusty and, and mm. gnarly and you don't enjoy it as much. So then we started doing a few other events, um, like the 24 hour in South Australia and, because we, you know, because the Green Triangle guys used to go do all that sort of stuff. So, <clears throat> yeah, we sort of just every year you'd sort of be sitting around at Christmas time with the boys, we'll go for a few trail rides and sort of say, oh, maybe we should have a crack at this this year, or maybe we should have a go at that. And um, yeah, it was 
it was just sort of a good little goal and a, a, a good thing to go do. And yeah, you sort of see most of the ones on there that sort of like, oh, yeah, did that one twice because you should usually turn up first and realize you're way out of your depth and <laughs> don't know what you're doing, no matter how many people you'd spoken to. So, uh, I sort of recommend most people to just roll up once, go do it on whatever you're riding, and then you realise whether you like it or what you got to do for next year. So, um, so yeah, we sort of, fair few of us sort of, and like a lot of guys have been riding with forever, it's sort of, yeah, gone off and done these events. So, um, yeah, it was just a bit of fun. And then uh, fun turns into, yeah, I want to have a decent crack at it, and then off you go. So, and... uh and competitive. Yeah, it's just that competitive thing. I, I think that's the worst thing, and you'd probably be the same. You can say you're going to take it easy, but if there's a green flag and a checkered flag involved, yeah, generally you'll, you'll probably push yourself until you hit something. And yeah, anyway, it's uh, yeah, it's just built in somewhere there. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I reckon. Mm. Yeah, I'm the same, and that's why people have asked me, "Oh, are you going to go and?" like do Hatter or do this race or just come and do it and have some fun. I'm like, oh, I just, I can't do things for fun. Like if I'm going to do it, I want to have a, a real crack at it and yeah. put in the work and get a, like get the best result you can. Yeah, that's it. Like a lot of people sort of say, you know, oh, why don't you go back and do Think again? Or why don't you go do Hatter again? And I'm like, well, A, it's a lot of money. And B, you've got to be, you know, you can't just go and want to do it. Like you, you don't do it half-assed you go train your ass off you build a bike you do this you do that and you yeah. go, i i don't think I, I have the determination to get to that level to do that particular race you know yeah. like it takes a couple of years to be fit enough to go do those races you can't just roll up and do them because otherwise you just hate life and go oh, i should have been fitter i should have had a better setup i should have had this so yeah it's um you sort of, I think you're better off always having that six or 12 month approach to a lot of those sort of events, the bigger events anyway, and, um, and train properly for them, you know? So, but, uh, yeah, that's how, that's my take on it anyway. Yeah, definitely, man. I would agree for sure. Plenty of guys, there's plenty of guys do that make up the field that do just go and do it, I suppose. But like you say, at the end of the race, they're not looking like they've had the best time out there. No. <laughs> no. So. Yeah, I've had a, had a few mates just want to make up the numbers at, at races like Hatter and Fink in the last few years. Yeah, just want to go do it. <laughs> Bring them on the Sunday. How was that? Oh, dude, why did I bother doing that? I'm like, I think we did have that conversation. But uh, anyway, good on you. <laughs> Got the spike. Yeah, that's it. Counts. Um, so one of those, like, I'd love to. It's been something for some reason. I don't know why, but that 24 hour trial, it's something that I would maybe like to do one day just for the like bit of a bucket list event, I suppose. Just looks like I've, I've yeah, seen videos, etc. They look like pretty cool tests and, and good terrain. So tell us a bit about that one. Mate, I don't know whether we should go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I talked, um, and you'd remember the boys, Dave Robbins and Matt Fish into doing it. They kind of didn't talk to me for a little while afterwards, I think, because it was one of the races we've done. But it's it's actually a heap of fun. And if you actually go through the records, it's one of the oldest races in the world, one of the oldest off-road races in the world. It's got this crazy history of how long it's been going for. Yeah, yeah. It's it's bizarre. And to be completely honest, you're not quite right at, you know, for a few weeks afterwards because you literally just deprive your body of everything and you're just absolutely wrecked. But... It's a good fun race. You do about probably 14 or 15 special tests each lap. 
it's overall about a thousand kilometres, and each you do four laps, so it's two hundred and fifty k's a lap. Um, it's you sort of just do the the transport section is pretty easy. It's generally just sort of gravel roads or really easy trails, so you're not actually sort of hardcore riding the whole time. But the tests are tests. You know, they're normal sort of stuff you'd hit at a four day or a normal enduro, and you know some of them are short and some of them are long. But the crazy thing is they do it on pretty much the shortest day of the year. So you've got about 14 hours of dark and about 10 hours of sunshine. And the pro class, we sort of left last. So we did the first two thirds of the lap in daylight and then it went dark. So we were learning the last third of the track in the dark. Yeah. And you're pretty much, well, you kind of go faster because you're only looking at what's in front of you, which is, it's kind of weird to say, but if you can only see what you're going to hit in front of you, you're not really looking at, you know, massive, massive holes in the ground that you're just missing or, you know, big dropaways into dry creek beds and that, which you find out on about the fourth lap. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's pretty bizarre. And, yeah, the, probably the weirdest part is probably from about 1 a.m. to about 4 a.m. It's just pitch black and you leave a minute apart. So you can imagine like most events, people drop out, crash out, whatever. So you might not have anyone in front of you for two or three minutes because they've broken down and none behind you. So you're literally in the middle of the South Australian, almost outback, just by yourself, one o'clock, <laughs> o'clock in the morning, just roaring around down these roads, down through special tests, just sort of talking to yourself and starting to lose your marbles. <laughs> and then probably you get two breaks at the end of lap one and the end of lap three. So you get about... 30 minutes I think so they actually sort of sit you down and just fill you full of food then off you go again so you do get time at the start of your, your tests so you're not constantly pushing but you, you're there and you you know got to keep your wits about you and probably the dumbest thing was we got to the end of lap three the sun was just coming up it was like back in the day when you used to come out from the pub and the sun was up and <laughs> going and yeah, I said to Dave and Fish, he said, come on, it's only one lap to go. And we're like, yeah, just one lap to go. Yeah, let's go do it. And jumped on the bikes and then he took off. And he realised that the lap was six hours long. Um, and, yeah, we, yeah we, we're in a world of hurt come the end of it. But um, <laughs> I think we all did all right that year for a bunch of out-of-towners. I think Jai Willis was there. I think he podiumed. I think he was second or third. And I don't know, uh, I think the rest of us were sort of all in the top 10 or 11 or something like that. But um, it's, it's a bizarre event. Um, if you have an inkling to do it, do it. Um, don't know whether you want to go back and do it again, but at least you can say, yeah, I rode a bike for 24 hours once. So <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's pretty cool. And there's a, it's, yeah, there's people out there camping all night, yahooing and stuff. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really out there. So, um, it's a good event though. And they're, they're a good bunch to put it all on and yeah, they'd love to see more people doing it. So, um, it's good. So what was that last lap like? Like, obviously you uh, fatigued as hell how did you go was it like were you did you have to back things right off or did you get into a flow and be able to actually ride pretty decently oh there's a bit of hatred going on in there (laughs) hatred sort of motivates you a bit but it's bizarre because you've seen two-thirds of the track in daylight when you first took off on the first lap and then the last third of the track you haven't seen at all in daylight and you realize you're literally riding feet away from dropping into you know massive crevices and cracks in the ground and big boulders and stuff and you're like holy crap i've just done three laps pinned through here in the dark completely tired and wrecked and i've been missing all that you, you probably your last lap is slow just due to caution because you're just going oh, i can't believe i've been racing through this shit and so yeah it's, uh, <laughs> 
it's pretty bizarre. And you sort of get to the end and there's no celebrations. You just push all your crap in a trailer and just hop on, <laughs> off home and just go, oh, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> so I'd recommend for anyone, if you want to go do that race, get there a couple of days beforehand, find somewhere really good to sleep for a couple of days, make sure you get as much sleep in the bank as you can and then just have a really good place to sleep on the Sunday night. So you need to take five days off work. And yeah, it's uh, we sort of drove over there because we're all broke and drove over there on the Friday night and slept on the floor and slept like crap and then raced and then drove home on the Sunday night. I got home from Melbourne at like two o'clock in the morning. And yeah, we were not, God. we were not healthy specimens at the end of it. So uh, <laughs> I bet yeah, sleep, sleep is the key for that one yeah. <laughs> and a reliable bike. So yeah. So what, how did you go into that one? Did you have some, did you do much? Like obviously you would have done a bit of research, but did you get some feedback off other people that had done it to sort of prepare you for that? Or you just went in blind? The first year I'd done it with a couple of my mates that had done it before and sort of got an okay lighting setting. Lighting's obviously the key and it needs mm. to be reliable. So they, it's a bit like the four days where at the end of the day, they'll test your lights to make sure everything's working and they'll test you randomly through the race to make sure you've got high beam, low beam, you know, all that sort of stuff. So you've got to have a pretty robust kit. And the thing is, you can't bolt stuff on once it gets dark. You've got to start with everything. As the day night goes on or the sun comes up, you can peel stuff off your bike and whatnot. But you kind of got to go in looking like you're gearing up to ride across Russia. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then off you go. So, the, yeah, it wasn't bad. And, and, and Fishy and Dave were good because I sort of said, yep, this is what we need. And they just bought what they needed. And we went out and we went riding. The guy had a property up near Yield, and I think it was, and he had a big track. So he said, yeah, just come up here and had a big loop. So went and did some night testing and that and sort of dialed in our lights. So that was, um, that's probably the hardest thing to go from racing in daylight to your headlight. So yeah, you get over there and there's all sorts of contraptions of huge, big HIDs and LED systems and looks like UFOs roaring across the desert at night time. But, um, yeah, lights your friend out there, put it that way. <laughs> and just trying to, yeah, trying yeah. to get used to being able to ride with it. So, yeah, definitely a bit of um, here and there, just riding in the dark. Yeah. The difference. So. And then yeah. it's like, you know, really good goggles because, you know, your vision's, your vision's all you got. So, you know, good goggles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about this grass tree beach race then. <laughs> Look, that looks pretty gnarly. It's, it's, well, I shouldn't say it's nothing to talk about. Uh, when I was living up in the <laughs> it is one of the most bizarre events you will ever see in your life. And, you know, here we are in Victoria. We can't do a four-day or an enduro through the bush because, you know, whatever and parks and wildlife. And up there, don't ask me how, and it's been going for like 75 years, you go to a beautiful, pristine beach on low tide. They put a barrel either end, like 500, 700 metres apart. And then you can bring whatever you want. So probably the wildest stuff we've seen there is fire blades, like CBR 1000s with knobby tyres doing, oh, they got clocked one year, about 220 down the beach. Really? It's like an old school barrel race, like a sort of a speedway thing. And you've got everything from methanol, nitrous, CR 500s to, oh, just, you name it. You've just... You, go, you walk through the pits in the morning. Most of them don't complete the first race because they all blow up on the start line or whatever. But, um, yeah, the, the bikes are just something to behold. Like uh, the guys from the, the dealer up there, the KDM Yamaha dealer, built this thing and it was a Banshee motor, which is a 350 twin 
two-stroke Yamaha and they put it in a KDM 450 chassis and then they bought it out to 540 and then they ran it on some sort of rocket fuel. <laughs> this thing is just flat track pipes, no mufflers, just it's bizarre. Um, if you're a good speedway rider or a flat track rider, like um, Mick Kirkness and those guys, they are absolutely phenomenal to, to watch. But, um, yeah, one of the local guys up there, he, he's won it uh, 20 times or something on, you know, maxed out CR500s. And now there's a guy from Townsville that comes down on like an old Husserberg 650 on methanol with fuel pumps. And it's not actually that done over the top, but he's a good flat tracker. And they're just, it's just bizarrely amazing to watch. Like, yeah. Guys literally spend all year just building a bike for this race. And you don't win anything other than a trophy. There's no prize money. There's no anything. It's just like, if you win that in that area, you might You're the man. I'm Valentino Rossi. And people are like, oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's just a cult following up there. It's bizarre. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. But a hot tip, going down a beach in the 500 two-stroke class, getting peppered by wet sand is probably one of the most painful experiences you will ever have in your life. So, but, like, um, rat, like rat shot, I'll bet. Uh, yeah, just, well, we all ended up grabbing our leather jackets, our road bike jackets, putting those on, put our jerseys on over the top, just because you've just, you've never been peppered like that in your life. You've raced tape up the front of your helmet. Cause you just, you look like you've been smacked by a, a swarm of wasps. It's nuts. So, um, yeah, it's, it was a bit of fun. So. I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they they also did a hill climb over there too, um, which was yeah bizarre. You just don't even hear of hill climbs anymore. And same thing. And one guy turned up one year on a RM250 with a higher Busser GSXR1300 motor in it, and it literally looked like it just tore the hill in half. Like it wasn't that fast, but geez, you've never seen Bruce like it. And yeah, you know, hillbilly central guys in the pits kickstarting 500 two strokes in thongs, saying that's how you start a bike, and you're just like. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, interesting. Put it that way. <laughs> so out of all those events, man, what, what would you rate as your, I guess, your favourite or the most fun event out of all those that you've done? Um, uh, look, I'd have to say the six-day in Germany was probably the, the best event I've done, just purely from an organisational point and where we were. Like, it was, it was amazing just... Everyone in every village and every town was behind it. Everyone had come out. Even oldies on Zimmer frames are out cheering you on. Um, every hard section on a track just had thousands of people and air horns and all sorts of stuff. And everyone would cheer. It didn't matter whether you were Toby Price or whether you were the guy, you know, coming dead last. You were, you were getting cheered on. Like, it was heaps of fun. And it was just, it was hard. Like, it was eight or nine hours a day on the bike. And just, yeah, you, you knew you'd ridden for the day, put it that way. So, that was a heap of fun. But as far as local events in Australia, I'd have to say probably two of the funnest events is um, probably the Condo 750 and, and Hatter. I'd actually, don't shoot me for this, but I'd actually rate Hatter over Fink, to be completely honest. I, I think Hatter is a really, really good race. Like, it sells out every year, but it's, yeah. it's something that's really achievable and you can train properly for that and, you know, and go pretty hard on a reasonable budget without having to fly out to Alice Springs 10 times to pre-run it. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would agree for sure, man. Fink, it's yeah, it's not my cup of tea. Fink, it's different. I heard. Different. Josh, I heard uh, when I was in New South last year. I heard Josh Green say to a couple of guys that I was riding with because they're like, "Yeah, we want to go do Fink," and he's like, "Okay, so 
where you're going to aim. Oh, I just want to finish. And he sort of just looked at him and said, why do you want to go all that way, spend all that money just to finish? He's <laughs> like, you guys make no sense to me. But anyway, yeah, no worries. I'll, I'll show you what you got to do. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's, hey, it's, it's a brilliant thing for the sport and it's, you know, it's put off-road on the map. So, yeah, definitely not, never going to knock it. And it's a hard race. doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. no, yeah. I wouldn't knock it. I'd, I'd freaking take my hat off to those dudes, man. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But that's what I mean. Just a bit too out there for me. Yeah, that's it. I'd, I'd much prefer <laughs> that yeah. as like a, a little bit crazy and a little bit fast, but not as, not as gnarly as that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So. Yeah, some of some boys. Actually, a guy I grew up from, with from Warnable, he was running fifth one year, and he he knew the track inside out. He was living there, so he literally knew every bump on the track, and he fell off and, and broke his neck. Like he's okay now, but you're like mm. man, that guy knew every bump on the track, and he mm. and hurt himself. So you sort of go, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> no, it's, it's look. I think any any big off road event is is worth supporting and getting behind. And even if hey, it doesn't have to be Fink. It can be anything in Australia, really. I think uh, the more people that you know, sort of pick these hard, hardcore events or whether it's a Victorian off-road series, the Aussie off-road series, like everyone, every round or every race needs more people to it. So I think it's a, it's a good thing for everyone to try tick off the list. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, man, for sure. Well, that was one of the things I was going to ask you. Like you've obviously been involved in the sport and the industry for that many years. How have you seen it grow? Because I remember when I first raced juniors in the off-roads, it was me and Joy Willis riding around together. That was, up, that was it. It was two of us. <laughs> and now, like, the juniors is its own, like, massive thing in off-road, which is awesome. Like, it's growing to be this, this huge thing. So how have you seen that evolve over the years? Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit the same. Like, I probably would have got into off-road a lot earlier if there was an off-road. Like, I did a hair scramble. We ran one down near Warnable. Shit you know, 95 or 96 or something back when Watsy wasn't even a, a household name then, but we knew who he was and he turned up and just smoked everyone. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I killed my bike and, you know, but there's <laughs> one thing that I can't remember. You might've even been that one. I can't remember. It was, there was only a handful of people there, like as far as juniors went and it's just like, well, you know, we loved it because we'd done Pony Expresses since we were kids. As soon as we could get on a big bike, we'd be, uh, we'd be ripping around and, you know, trying to race with, you know, all the old guys out at the club thought it was awesome. But, um, it sort of just didn't exist. And, and now it's, yeah, you go to, I ran around for the Vic off roads through the green triangle club years ago now, like 2010 or 11 or something. And the, uh, oh, not the Winnebago express, the uh, toy hauler express rolls in like the day before. And I'm like, for real, like, it was just, yeah, it's nuts how much people spend on this junior. Like, and it's great. It's great for the sport because, you know, even mm. if you percentage of those guys are moving to seniors it means the sport's quite healthy but um yeah back in the day there was you know when you and i raced juniors it was motocross and that was it and yeah yeah really nothing else and um yeah yeah it's, it's good you know there's a lot of junior development programs and uh <clears throat> when i was involved with a shop up in queensland you know that we had a really quick junior rider sort of in the area and husqvarna got behind him and you know he's he's doing really well now and yeah it's it's pretty crazy whereas back when we were juniors pretty much you didn't even know how anyone could get any sort of support through a manufacturer and you just turned up to race every weekend and sometimes you got a free bottle of oil and thought it was awesome. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's good. Like it's, it's, it's good and it's bad because there's so many different races now and so many different series and stuff. It sort of does split it apart and makes it hard for people to follow. But 
you know, I think as you sort of get older and you realise, you think, oh, maybe that series isn't for me or maybe that event isn't for me. You sort of, you know, just pigeonhole your way into a field that you really like. But, you know, there's a lot of good options now for, for kids. And, you know, it's it's easy to go overseas now. Like, if you really want to, like, mm. do the six-day, yeah, you've got to, you know, they've got to make sure you're going to be able to hold your own and whatnot. But really, it's... I've got friends that go over and do Romaniacs that are just basic trail riders and, you know, have a crack at Erzberg and... <clears throat> it's pretty cool to be able to be in the age where you can just go do that stuff. Whereas, you know, you wouldn't have known where to look back when we were younger. So uh, it's, it's good. Yeah, I would agree, man. Yeah. I know a couple of people have done Romaniacs too. And that, like you say, it's freaking awesome that you can jump on a plane and, and fly over. And even um, Michael Burgess and Andrew Hullahan, like they've just been over um, racing those rallies over there in Spain. So with like a kind of like a, a, a guide that organizes everything for you obviously pay them a bit of money but you fly over there and, and everything's set up for you ready to roll like it's pretty cool you can do shit like that these days yeah well one of my mates said once you come do romaniacs he goes i pretty much can fly there stay there get a bike the whole lot for under nine and a half grand and be home again and you're like that's actually quite achievable like <laughs> it's a pretty cool the- holiday well, you go back to the Fink scenario and you think how much it costs to take two weeks off work and drive out there and set up a bike and you're sort of like, well, nine and a half grand isn't that expensive. So, um, mind you, drag, skull dragging your bike across rocks for <laughs> days doesn't, doesn't really float my boat that much anymore. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's good that it's achievable and, you know, young lads can get out and, and experience a bit more racing around the world and try different events. It's, um, I think there's a Victorian lad, Callum Norton, that's over doing the, the work series in America now. Like, that's, that's great. So yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Mm. So how, like, obviously you've raced motocross, off-road, road, super motard, lots of different disciplines. How has your, I guess, your ability to adapt in different situations? Is that something that was, I guess, a bit of a natural ability you had from from a kid, or is that something you sort of had to persevere with? Um, no, it's probably <clears throat> it probably is from growing up on a farm and just riding and driving everything that had wheels. Like <laughs> one minute you'd be on an old CT200 and like a literally no joke, me and, and my mate Woody raced the Pony Express on a CT200 just because we wanted to race. Like we would literally race anything that moved back in the day. And uh, yeah, like you'd be racing, not that that's a race bike, but you would literally push limits on everything. And those things would have had tires that are like 20 years old and you'd be out there belting around on them all day. and. Um, yeah, we sort of, we're always versatile in riding bikes. And I think because we didn't, and this is, this is one thing I'd like to tell a lot of young lads, if anyone's listening, but try to be more versatile, even if different motocross tracks, but try ride as many different tracks or different venues as you can, because <clears throat> I have seen a lot of guys over the years sort of be the local champion. And it's great that you're a local champion and you're a quick rider and you hose everyone at a club day or a region or whatever, but they go to the next track and they're, the 10th and they just they're nowhere and we're pretty lucky because you know we we had a little track a couple little tracks on the farm and um yeah the local motocross track and then we had those grass tracks and pony expresses every year so even if we didn't travel away we could have raced 10 different venues in a year sort of in the local area um so i think that versatility of being able to you know one day you'd be riding in hard pack clay the next week you'd be out racing a you know a pony express in black mud somewhere and I think that sort of helped us at a young age <clears throat> and we're never really scared to do it because it was one of those things. Well, you know, you haven't got a bike for nothing. 
clip over the ear and get out there and race sort of thing. And I oh, liked it. So he just got used to it. So he'd be sitting in the, uh, I remember, and literally every kid that ever raced at Lake Galera in the 90s, the early 90s, would remember sitting on the start line with water, you know, halfway up there, motorbike boot on the start line of an 80. <laughs> and just going, oh, first corner's that way. Off you go. And, and you just go. So there was no, oh, it's too wet. Let's put in a protest and get it set, shut down. They just cut a couple of corners that were completely underwater and you just race it. So sort of, I don't know. I don't think it's child abuse, but I think we ended up out of it. So, but uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty versatile when you were younger. So I think that sort of helped. And I always sort of liked road bikes as well. Um, even though mum never wanted me to get a road bike, but I just sort of did the kid thing and just turned up with a road bike one day. And whose is that? And oh, that's mine. And, no, it's not. And, yes, it is. And anyway, we're good now. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I had a heap of older mates who all run around on GSXRs and I'd be chasing them around. And yeah, sort of, it was, it was good just to sort of break, not break up the monotony, but sort of just hone in another skill. And yeah, I've sort of said to a few guys that sort of aren't into road bikes, I'm like, well, if you haven't gone around Phillip Island turn one at 200 with your knee on the ground, yeah. probably don't knock it till you try it because it's pretty freaking awesome. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a real buzz. It's good fun. It's yeah, really, bet. really expensive buzz, but it's it's good fun. So, um, yeah, and, and Super Motard is, is one of those things. I actually, I kind of wish it was a bigger sport in Australia because it's it's so much fun. Um, mm. And you sort of get a crossover. So you'll get road bike guys trying to do it. Then you get dirt bike guys trying to do it. And you sort of, you know, one person stronger this way and one person stronger that way. And it's, um, it's a heap of fun. It really is. You're sliding and mucking around and, yeah, it's, it's good fun, but it's, it is just another form of sport that, you know, venues are limited and numbers are limited. So yeah, they're still out there doing it, but it's just, uh, it's never really taken off here. So. Yeah. It kind of was a little bit like it popped up a bit when it first started, didn't it? But it kind of, you don't see much of it anymore. No, yeah. I think there's only a couple of races in Victoria a year sort of thing. And a few small clubs and it's sort of okay up in Queensland, but yeah, you sort of got to drive a long way to go to a, a half road race track and a bit of a yeah. setup. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit of fun. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you? Do you follow Ryan Zipes in the states? Yeah. Have you seen what he's doing with the? He's doing like a different discipline of racing nearly every weekend for the year. Is he? Yeah, yeah. So he raced the Daytona Supercross, then raced the GNCC the next day, I think, and then raced a flat track like an American AMA flat track title the next day. He's doing like a different event every weekend for the year across every kind of discipline. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. <clears throat> it was even like, uh, remember Watsy back in the day, he won the GNCC title and they sort of said, Oh yeah, whatever. And you know, and he said, and then he did a deal with KDM to race the whole GNCC series on a different KDM every race. And mm. like, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to do something, something a bit different. Oh, yeah. That's unheard of these days. You wouldn't get a pro rider doing that these days. No. no. <laughs> Apart from the Euro brands, no one makes enough different model bikes anymore to, uh, to race every weekend. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So what are some other areas? Like, obviously, had a pretty long career and been across those different disciplines. What are some other areas you've had some, I guess, progress or some gains with that you've worked on? Over well, the years. 
I wouldn't call it a career. I'd call it more of a, <laughs> a career is when someone is actually good at something and probably <laughs> that's not me, mate. But um, yeah, look, uh, probably the, the biggest stuff that really changed and it was probably a bit towards when I sort of stopped racing a lot of stuff full time was, um, was just learning a bit more about nutrition and, you know, um, and training and stuff like that. And, you know, we'd sort of, you would have been the same as me, you know, you sort of roll up with your mates, go for a bush ride in between race meeting weekends. And you sort of think, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm training for next weekend's race. And then, you know, you'd stop at Macca's on the way there in the morning, get breakfast. And then you'd have a palmer at the pub and a couple of pots on the way home. And yeah, that was just what we did because we were racing duros and that's what everyone else did. And you're sort of like, okay, this is cool. And anyway, like, yeah, it's still got okay results and bits and pieces along the way doing that. And then um, <clears throat> I sort of got, I met uh, Daryl from Shots, who you've interviewed a few times. I met him um, years ago through a friend through road bikes. And this was sort of before he got in off-road stuff and we we're talking about it. And he said, oh, I've got a few products you should try. And so I jumped on the on the Shots bandwagon pretty early in the piece. And, um, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing, you know, the, the stuff that, you know, these drinks and gels and all of a sudden I'm like, geez, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good on the bike and maybe I should train a little bit differently and then, probably the biggest switch up I, I did on the bike was um, I started riding with guys that were way faster than me as opposed yeah. to just riding all your mates and just going, to the bush. still did that, but it would actually go out and practice, you know, two or three hour motos or practice sprints on tracks that were just, you know, terrible. Destroyed. Yeah, destroyed. Like um, Matty Fish and, and Alex Bolton, we just shoot up, you know, out around Kitan and we had, tracks through the pine plantations and that there. And <laughs> I took mates up for a ride. Yeah, you come for a ride. Yeah, you'll like it. Let the lab just load up and say, you guys are screwed. <laughs> what do you even ride on this stuff? It's not fun. I, I didn't say it was fun. It was good training. <laughs> but uh, probably the speed you got, because, you know, those guys were, were super fast and I could never catch them. But you're like, no, nah, I've got to push harder. I've got to push harder. And you'd start doing what they were doing and it made a huge difference. And then, you know, you, you might button off for a month or two and go to a, a trail ride or, or whatever and you sort of you literally lose speed because you're just sort of plodding along and having fun and mm. yeah, which is it was what it's half about but from there I sort of decided it's like well you're either going out for a toodle around or you're training you're not yeah. there's nothing in between yeah and you sort of got to make every minute count and when I've been up in Queensland like you know, I worked a lot of hours working in mining and whatnot. So you didn't have a lot of downtime. So if you did get out on a bike, you'd literally go out somewhere and wreck yourself for an hour and then just load up and go home. Yeah. To the point where you'd be doing that in wet season up in the tropics and you'd have to stop at a bottle shop on the way home and go stand in their cool room to get your body temp down because you were just that hot. It was ridiculous. But it was the only way to sort of, to keep your eye in and keep quick. And um, I think that's probably where a lot of people sort of, go wrong with their training because they do a lot of bike time yeah yeah, i've done 50 hours done 60 hours but it's like yeah but but what sort of riding did you do did you did you make it count sort of thing and mm. you know it's, it's up to each of their own if they're just going to plot around but um it's fine like definitely don't have any issues with anyone just trail riding and having fun but i guess if you if you do sort of want to achieve a, a goal or try to be a little bit quicker and and whatnot you've you've really got to push hard and and then uh, you learn more about nutrition and you just look back at your childhood or your enduro <laughs> use and you just go, yeah, right. Well, that was kind of like doing all that with what we're eating and how you're sleeping. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's such an eye-opener. Like, um, 
and one thing, and I touched on it before with the 24 hour, might be an age thing, but I'm a pretty light sleeper, but man, sleep is so imperative when you're doing Mm. enduro events. Like, I mean, spend the money, get a nice hotel, go to bed early after a good dinner, get sleep because it just, it wrecks you. Like you just don't realize how much it actually wrecks you on a bike until you actually do comparisons of I slept in a swag last weekend, slept like crap, rode like crap, got a motel, hosed everyone. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Easy. So, uh, yeah. Um, and just a consistent diet, you know, I think, um, I think you've shared a fair bit of stuff over the years, but just having a really consistent diet of, you know, eating well all week, like, you know, minimizing processed foods, um, eating more whole foods. Um, yeah. And just, and even, you know, a lot of people used to be like, Oh yeah, Friday night, let's eat a massive bowl of pasta and go racing. And you sort of think, Oh yeah, that's great. But then you actually realize once you learn a bit more how bad that is for your body yeah, uh, and trying to process it the next day, your guts is just going wild and you get stomach cramps and you're like, Oh, it must be the gels. And then <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really amazing when you get on a, on a bit of a good track and you're sort of like with your food and you, you eat really consistent and then you, you know, you, you drink these specialized drinks that, you know, shots is made for motocross shots is made for, you know, endurance athletes, like guys that, do all sorts of crazy stuff and yeah not, not trying to be a spokesperson for the brand but the stuff that i've used has been pretty good um it definitely helps like um for example between shots and rhino power when i did the sixth day i think it was the fourth day of the sixth day you're pretty wrecked it rained overnight there was beyond a billion tree roots in every pine plantation you've just never seen anything like it, it was just slippery as slippery um and you're literally making time controls for 20 seconds to keep on your minute. And that was one of my goals, you know, keep on your minute, don't lose a minute at a six day. And that's, that's a pat on the back for me. And I literally lived a whole day on shots, gels. Well, sorry, not even, I only had a couple of gels, shots in my camelback and a bit of rhino power. Um, uh, hydration fuel, was it? Hydration fuel. Yeah. And load in the camelback. And I managed yep. to do nine hours of racing just on that. It's pretty hungry at the end of it, <laughs> but I still managed to have energy all day to, to push in all the tests. So, yeah, that's awesome. You know, whereas back in the day, you would have just, you know, you, I don't know what you would have done to try to get through nine hours worth of racing four days in. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all those little things you sort of learn over time and you realize that uh, maybe if I just tried that for a while and yeah, you might try it one week and oh, it doesn't do much, but then you sort of work on a couple of little things and think, okay, well, Maybe I'll cycle a bit during the week. I'll try to eat a, a normal, good, healthy breakfast every day. I'll eat a, a good lunch. Stay away from takeaway shops. You know, just get your get your gut right. <clears throat> and then when you're uh, when you're pushing hard on the weekends, it it makes a makes a difference. You know, putting the right gear in. Yeah, absolutely, man. Makes a huge difference. So, how did you go? Like at the six day and those multi day events, how did you go? Like getting enough food in? Like obviously, like you said, you. Of doing nine hours and you'd be having a fair feast every night i'd imagine did you have access to good food while you were there um yes and no well we're okay we're in east germany uh near the saxon ring and pre circuit and there was food around but you sort of by the time you got back to your room and i you're you're pretty wrecked and the restaurant was okay it wasn't great we actually found a really good greek restaurant down the road which was hilariously funny to go to every night it was like faulty towers um 
Greek German guys, I don't know, but their food was really good. So we sort of found somewhere good. And then you just get up in the morning, you would just eat until you're almost sick, you know, two hours out from getting on the bike. And then, uh, yeah, I, a lot of the other guys, you know, still eat, you know, you'd pull up to a time control and the guys would just have trays of, you know, lollies and white bread sandwiches and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, that, that probably works for some, but cause I don't eat much of that stuff it, it mm. doesn't work for me. So I just, um, yeah, whether it's a bit of dried fruit or nuts and bits and pieces or, a, or an energy bar or something like that, just try to sort of remain pretty, pretty consistent with what I eat on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. During the, during the days and yeah, got, got through it. Okay. But uh, yeah, come the end of it, you're pretty, you're pretty wrecked come the end of it. And we actually went to Oktoberfest like two days later and I had one beer and I was literally on my <laughs> So, uh, yeah, fair takes it out of you. But yeah, I think that consistency thing and, and sort of working out what your gut likes and mm. you know, when you find out what Gatorade, how bad Gatorade and stuff like that actually is for you. And we used to drink a bottle load at two days in the nineties when we were kids. Cause everyone's like, yeah, drink Gatorade and it'd be awesome. And you're like, yeah, I just Gatorade now. And it just, my guts is just like, you did not just do that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I think working on that stuff, it's all it's all little bits and pieces here and there, but it actually it actually prolongs you during the day or during the race. And um, I think it's it's definitely more in the forefront of everyone's minds now. You know, guys like yourself and a lot of other people train, and you know, people watch the Baker Factory and all that sort of stuff happen, and they're like, oh, well, maybe you know, maybe I should do this, or maybe I should do that. But it's it makes the biggest difference, it really does. Yeah, totally, man. <clears throat> You're right though. Back when we were doing it, there was there was nothing, was there? Like they didn't have. Didn't have YouTube, didn't have internet. No. It was just figure it out as you go. No, yeah, it was just, just go along, go get a hamburger at the lunch at the canteen at you know, halfway through the day and take another Gatorade and get on a bike and go do another moto. And it's just like, I think of that now and I, I pretty much cringe because I couldn't even do that on a weekday, let alone doing it on a race day. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I totally remember, man. Like, I'd go to a cross country, have two wheat picks and a banana for brekkie. And then put half a Gatorade in my Camelback, and that was it. And then on the way home, get Maccas. Yep. And I'd wonder, like, I'd get to the hour and a half mark, and it'd just be all over. Like, I'd just hit the wall and be riding around in second gear. Couldn't figure out why. It's like, mm, got to train more, got to train more. <laughs> Didn't even think about food. Like, it's just, yeah. it's nuts. Yeah, I had two Gatorades. I should be good. <laughs> yeah, nah. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, Talking about that little goal for the sixth day, how'd you go? Did you achieve that? No lost minutes? Yeah, no, I didn't lose any time. Um, I, I, <laughs> the Aussie team were kind of pissed off because I was the only two-stroke there, but I just built a YZ250 because you and I both know you build one of those and you're not going to have a mechanical issue at all. Yeah. Um, so I just took one of those over there. Um, so, yeah, I didn't want a bronze medal. Um, I wanted at least a silver, if not a gold. And then I think first day... In a special test, the guy went past me in our in our class, probably as fast as what, not as fast as Toby, but you know, it sort of felt like it was Toby passing me at Hatter or something like that. And I went, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to try finish the event. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I sort of ended. I think I ended up maybe I don't know. There was about 140 in our class, and I think I ended up around about 40th or something like that. So oh, that's and, awesome, man. Yeah, ended up with the silver and um, and getting uh, not losing any time and. Yeah, and finished. So yeah, it was um, it was good. I'd uh, like I knew it would have been probably faster over the whole event if I rode a um, if I rode a, a 450 or a 250F or a, you know something. But I was like, no, nah, I just 
I really want some that I just know that if anything goes wrong, I can fix it on the side of the track. Mm. And yeah, it was, uh, it was just good to do. Um, I'd love to do another one, but you know, it's the body's not holding together that well. And <laughs> a few other things on the, uh, on the go. So it's like, ah, uh, maybe, maybe another day. So. So, and is that like goal setting? Like if we talk about that, is that that's something you sort of use to, I guess, drive you in, in some of those situations, like when you're doing those big events? Yeah, for sure. Like you sort of, well, like anything, even even a punter going to do Hatter or Fink or something like that, like they still have a goal. Like they, you know, they know they're not going to beat Toby or whoever the person winning is, but, you know, they've still got a goal of whatever it is. So um, I think, you know, setting out pretty early in the piece saying, yep, I'm going to go to that event, going to do that event. I want to sort of get there. Sort of once, you, once you're there, you sort of know how you're feeling and, you know, how, whether it's a track you like or you don't like, you sort of go, no, nah, this is where I want to be today. Anything better than that would be really good. So, um, yeah, I think just sort of, yeah, long, long-term forecasting, I guess, and sort of panning out for those sort of events. It, it helps you, you know, lead up to it and it sort of it gives you a goal and a driver like it's, yeah, you can sort of turn up and just make up the numbers or you can say, no, I'll have a decent crack at that. So, um, yeah, the stuff like, you know, you would have done a couple of four days and stuff like that. Like, you know, just, just ticking off the basic stuff. Like, just don't lose time. Try to keep it upright. Try not to blow your bike up. You know, just, you know, ride smart. And, uh, yeah, you usually, usually come through pretty good in the end. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think probably one of the biggest things you kind of touched on it before that I guess I've learned about goal setting is actually breaking it down. Like you kind of said with, especially with your on bike training, like if you say you want to get to this goal, whether that's come 10th as an example at a big event, then breaking it down into little tiny goals that you can work on when you go training, like you said, like, so you're actually achieving something when you train rather than just burning fuel for the sake of burning fuel. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, addressing your weaknesses. That's something that I definitely didn't do when I raced. I just freaking raced. Yeah. And like you say, I just went trail riding every weekend. Yeah. There was no breaking down. How can I actually get better? Yeah. Oh, it's great. You can go to the bush and go, yeah, I'll get up that nasty ass hill. And you can yeah. ask like, well, you got up that hill. And then you go to a cross country the next weekend and, and just get your ass handed to you. And you go, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, definitely, uh, and switching up a little bit also helps. Like, um, I'm sort of fortunate. I've, I've got a couple of bikes in the stable and um, I'd actually, uh, racing a little, well, Sherco helped me out a bit in the last couple of years, which has been awesome. And I'd actually train on me YZ252 stroke and everyone's like, why do you do that? You've got a perfectly good Sherco. I'm like, because they're not as easy to ride. They keep your corner speed up. They really make you focus on what you're doing. You've got to be in the right power. So training on that, you jump back on your 450 for race weekend and you were, you were definitely quicker because you were, you know, you sort of, you'd switch your mind into corner speed mode and then all of a sudden in tests you'd be, um, you'd be clicking along quite well. And I think doing a bit of that stuff and not becoming complacent, that definitely helps. Um, not everyone sort of has that advantage, but even if you didn't have that, you could just go to the track and say, right, you know, like I remember, I remember sort of doing it, I think it was a Hefo, or like a goalie school back in the nineties and, um hefo was teaching us and it's sort of one of those funny things he's like right i want you to come in and do this rut like this and you come in you're like right 
bounce out of it, bounce out of it. Third time you get it and you're like, yeah, sweet, got it, thanks. And he's like, now do it 20 times in a row without wrecking it. And you're like, ah, that's really hard. It's like, yep, well, if you want to be fast, that's what you got to do. And that was literally it. You've just got to go out and you've just got to to hit that 20-cent piece on the track every lap. And, you know, it's trying trying to do that when you train. Like, you only need half an hour or an hour, you know, a couple of times a week. You don't need to be out there doing you know, all day at a ride park just trying to get time in. Like, you've, you've literally got to go out there and push like it's a race. And uh, I find one thing that helped me last year was um, a heart rate monitor and my Garmin watch, and then you can go back and analyse, and you can see over time your heart rate actually ends up coming down because you're getting fitter because you're pushing harder. Like, I started when I first got it, and, uh, yeah, it was like max hours, like 200 beats a minute, 210 beats a minute, I'm coming back, and, you know, a mate that's a... Pretty, pretty high up in sports health said, dude, you, you've sort of got some problems, hey? <laughs> not good. But by the time, you know, sort of six months in of, of, of pushing like that, I was sort of getting back into the 170s, 180s and, and you know, being able to hold steady for longer because you were, you were training to that. You were training to a point. Become more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, definitely, um, it definitely works over time. But have, it's hard because you don't always have people to go riding with and as you would probably vouch for the older you get, the less mates you have to go riding with. And uh, riding with younger guys is definitely awesome, but yeah, they're, uh, they're sometimes got too much time on their hands and uh, to go riding and we don't. So yeah, just, just being able to go out and belt out a couple of laps and, and uh, make a count. That's the, that's the biggest thing. So less yeah, selfies, sure. less selfies, more riding. There you go. So I've got a few questions I wanted to wrap up with, mate. But what what has the future got in store? Like, obviously, you got to get that bit of a collarbone thing fixed up before the racing takes off again. Yeah, oh, I definitely still like to do some enduro stuff. Um, uh, Chad from Chad's Off Road, he's done me suspension ever. We're good mates, and uh, he wants to go to Japan and maybe do an enduro because he's tied up with some guys in Japan. So uh, that might be on the cards for next year, which would just be a bit of fun to get over there and have been to Japan before. Um, so that'd be cool. Um, yeah, look, I'd love to go do a six day or something again, but, uh, you know, I've got a, got a bub on the way now and, uh, building a house and all that. So that's probably going to be a, a back burner for the next couple of years, but probably do a little bit more, um, trying to support some clubs and, uh, you know, try to get a little bit more involved in the, in the backside of it. You know, all the years I've raced, there's been mums and dads and uncles and everyone cruising along, helping out. And so want to do a bit of that, try to do a bit more coaching and stuff and, yeah, just get to pick a couple of events a year and go do it. So, <clears throat> but um, that's for the dirt side. Um, probably going to do a little bit of motard stuff this year, just for just for giggles. Um, so I'm motarding me alloy frame CR500 just for extra giggles. So yeah, I saw that. So you're going to run that, are you? Yeah, I think so. Just <laughs> yeah, nice. Just sitting in the corner of the shed, and I thought, ah, oh, jam a set of motard wheels and that. That'd be a bit of fun. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, so I'd probably be good down the straights. I don't know if we'd like around the corners, but yeah, so yeah, just just try a bit more fun with it. Um, yeah, and I've got a I've got a track bike there as well on R one, which I might do a bit. So I've sort of thought maybe oh, my shoulders getting better. I probably don't need to be hitting whoops and big sharp square edge holes for a while. So I might just do something with a few less bumps in it. But uh, yeah, the enduro stuff's it's pretty hard to go past. It's it's pretty satisfying at the end of the day when you. You know, if you've had a good race and you've put in your all, you don't have to have won, but, you know, you can just sit back and go, yeah, man, I, I feel good and I felt good on the bike and that was a wicked track and, yeah, and you're usually riding with a good bunch of guys. So, uh, 
yeah, I won't be too far away from that for too long. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So a few questions to wrap up. Um, I reckon you'll have some pretty cool answers for these, seeing as you've got all those bikes back in the shed. <laughs> um, two stroke or four stroke? Two for days, mate. <laughs> hey, four strokes have their place I, on this planet. I knew you'd say that. Four strokes have this pl- their place in the planet. I'm not going to say that you're a risk or on one or whatever, but I, I try to tell everyone to spend at least a season on a two stroke and you'll learn some more stuff. You learn more racing a two stroke than you do racing a four stroke. Definitely. Um, so, yeah. And they're cool. They sound cool. Yeah. They smell cool. They smell cool. They're easy to fix. They're cheap to fix. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, no, two stroke for sure. So what about your favourite bike to ride ever? Out of any bike you've ever had, what's been your favourite bike? Come on, man. Tough decision. They're all, every new bike you get is the best bike you've ever had. That's what I always tend to think. But Okay, I'll do two here. Right. Uh, something in the modern day, to jump on tomorrow. If you said, we're going to do a three-hour, what do you want to race? Sherco 300 four-stroke. Yeah, um, you love it. But they are so good. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, Matty Phillips showed that racing in the 450 class. Like, they don't have the power of 450, but, man, that's... Yeah, pretty much every time I got off that thing, I was, I was smiling. So, uh, yeah, that was that's a good bike. And probably, um, uh, look, I'd have to say YZ250s, massive soft spot. But one of the best <laughs> bikes I had um, back in the day was a 98KX250, you know, the purple swirl on it, the Jeff Emig sort of looking thing. And I've still got another one wedged in the shed there somewhere to um, to rebuild at some stage. But that was a that was just a good bike. I think I just really gelled with that bike and I'm sure if I went back and tried to race it now it wouldn't feel as good but it felt pretty good back in the day <laughs> I'll bet <laughs> so what about favourite rider of all time to watch on a bike right. oh, same again road Valentino Rossi I'm a valley weirdo as they call us and been watching him since he raced 125s back in the mid 90s the guy's a freak like he's 40 years old and still you know, within a tenth of a second in the world championship, like I don't care what sport that is, been doing it for twenty some years, it's ridiculous. Like mm. um so he's amazing to watch. Um yeah, enduro wise, you know, I was a massive fan of Watsy back in the day, the stuff he was doing and when you did get to watch him, he was just a freak on a bike. Man, that guy was that guy was awesome. Um still is a freak on a bike. I'm sure he still blowed both of us into the weeds, but uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. uh he was amazing to watch back in the day. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Just grew up loving Jeremy McGrath and, and Jeff Emig back in the back in the day. They were awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I would agree. What's his pretty special watch back in the day? Definitely inspired me as a young buck. Yeah. Um. So, what about final one? What What's your biggest tip? You've probably given him a couple already so far, but what's your biggest tip for an eighteen year old up and comer who wants to make it in the off road or motocross scene? <clears throat> um. Pick a – try to be consistent with, with your machinery, I guess. Um, so we already t- touched about food and training and stuff like that. Try to be relatively consistent in your training. Find a, find a bike that you like, find a, a shop you like dealing with, and try to stick with them because the longer you stick with them, the more that – yeah, they may not help you out, but you'll always be consistent through them. Um, find a suspension guy you like. Uh, I see so many people swap and change from – 
bikes every year to different suspension guy every year. Like it's, you know, if, if you work with someone for a long time, you can, you'll get good results because you can literally just ring them and say, hey, man, I did this race on the weekend and we're sort of doing this in the back end. They'll be like, cool, send us your shock. I've got a new setting that'll work for you. And, or they'll come out with you, you know, they'll, they'll give you the time of day because <clears throat> you build a good relationship. So, you know, building good relationships with the people that help you get there. Um, yeah, definitely. It's probably one of my biggest tips. Um, don't burn your bridges because the industry is way too small to, uh, to be, you know, slagging off a shop that didn't give you some cheap gear or something like that. And, and the other big tip is there is no money left in the motorbike industry. So um, <laughs> if someone gives you something, just be really grateful. Put a post up on Instagram and just say, hey, thanks XYZ for giving me some new gloves. These are awesome because everyone needs a little bit of help. So, yeah, just, just be grateful and try to be consistent. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I like that. I would agree for sure because, like, exactly what you say, like, it, and it takes time to, to get really good results. Like, it does take consistency. So, yeah, if you're chopping and changing from shop and suspension dudes, like... Obviously, got you got to find one you gel with, but yeah, the longer you stay with someone, then the like you say, that relationship becomes better, and then the better they're going to know you and what you like, and and it's going to be better for everything in the long run. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate your time coming on today. No, thank you. It's been awesome. Yeah, cool. Like I say, it's I I would class it as a career, man. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's awesome like i say it's it's really great to see i guess see someone apply themselves over those yeah those different disciplines and 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 do well in them it's really cool yeah thanks buddy yeah it's been a heap of fun and yeah fun hasn't stopped yet by any means so uh yeah we'll keep trucking and that's it plenty of years yet left yet oh we'll try <laughs> all right man cheers cheers buddy thank you Thanks for listening to the Ben Greenwood High Performance Podcast. For more information on this podcast episode, please check out the show notes and to check out more of my content, shoot over to my website, www.100percentstrength.com. 100% strength to us means giving 100% effort to any challenge we face whether that's in life, whether that's in the gym, or whether that's out on the track. So you can check out some of our free content online. We've got a blog there. We've also got an email list you can subscribe to to stay up to date with events, tips and tricks on a weekly basis. And I really appreciate you give us a follow on Facebook or Insta too. Until the next episode, give it 100%. Peace out.